0: Hello, my name is Father Jacob, creator and founder of Region Catholic. Region Catholic is a platform used to teach the Catholic faith with the flavor of Northwest Indiana, also known as the region. If you like this content, then like, comment, or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And better yet, share this, regioncatholic.com, with a friend. If you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon page, found at regioncatholic.com, where you can support us at three levels, get shout-outs on our podcasts, or get your hands on exclusive merchandise. Thank you for your support, enjoy the podcast, and God bless you.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chosen the Podcast. My name is Adam Antone, and I am joined by Father Jacob. and We are here for another episode to continue our conversation regarding spiritualities in the life of the church. Last episode, we were blessed to have a conversation with Brother John, who is a Dominican friar, where he filled us in on his journey to Dominican life and also shared a little bit on how we could possibly integrate it into our own. So, moving right along, we are going to dive into the Franciscan spirituality within the life of the church. And I would probably say this is the most popular
0: spirituality that people have heard about. Hands down. I think more people have a statue of St. Francis than of any saint. Would you say that's true?
1: Yeah, because half of them have it in their garden
0: outside. Yeah, yeah. It's like a bird feeder, bird bath kind yeah. of touch. I mean, I think even people that really have no connection to the church yeah, exactly. have it. Yeah, I was just yeah. about to say, I
1: wonder how many people aren't even Catholic and they have a Francis statue in their garden. Yeah, Do yeah.
0: It's like, it's like a pretty universally known, I think, like attribute of... And they, I've seen so many times, too, like statues of uh, Francis of Assisi with um, like holding like a dish or something in his hands. And that's what you put the birdbath in. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, like a little water. My parents and had then, that growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone had that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Or I've seen it in so many different people's houses or backyards visiting them. Like so definitely there's a connection to St. Francis of Assisi, but I think it's going to be worthwhile, you know, to kind of. Uh, examine a little bit of the actual like spiritual implications of his life um and maybe we can d- jump into it a little bit um about his own life but keep it in mind that unlike the reality of dominic that i knew well um i don't know i might not be able to fill in as much as saint francis of assisi so i you guess we'll see you weren't in the novitiate for the franciscan order i, I was not i was only in one novitiate yeah, and then came okay. to the diocese so i think
1: that I'm excited to talk about Francis because if I'm not mistaken, people say that Francis is the saint in the life of the Church who most close, closely resembles
0: Christ. Have you heard that? I have not, honestly. No. Yeah. yeah. Just. I mean, I would believe it, but yeah. I think I don't remember who said that, but I I always thought that was interesting. maybe maybe they're a little
1: biased. I don't know. Maybe it was Brother Leo, <laughs> Francis's best friend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I think that him being out in gardens everywhere and all that sort of stuff give, gives him the connotation of being a hippie.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's more of, like, a, like, creation emphasis or, um, yeah, just kind of, like, that bent or that reality with that emphasis on creation or, you know, like, kind of that connection to, like, wildlife and mm-hmm. preaching to the birds, like, this image of him right. that people like, but people probably don't like as much, like, you know, when he had thoughts of like impurity, that he threw himself into thorn bushes or something like that. I well, mean, that's not as that's not as fun, not as like <laughs> easily thought about or drawn to, right?
1: When you're preaching at mass, <laughs> do you sometimes feel like you're preaching to the birds
0: based off of people's attention span? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I can't, I can't be too mean. Usually, people are very attentive, but uh, maybe uh, usually people are pretty attentive because I'm awesome at writing yeah.
1: homilies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I will say though what I can say for sure is that the attention span of the preschool children when I read to them—that's probably like a moment of preaching. It's to more the birds. in the ballpark. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, because they are usually everywhere. The last time I visited them, actually, I learned very quickly. Like, I went to kindergarten, and then I went to our third grade classroom, and then I went to our preschool classroom. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, developmentally speaking, in terms of, like, the attention span and capacity, like, obviously, there's a lot of difference between a preschooler and a third grader. But I just kind of noticed this theme that they were all, like, pretty, like, wound up, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I was asked, I asked the teachers jokingly every time, like, oh, what happened today? Like, they're pretty, like, you know, they weren't, like, out of control or misbehaving. But you could just tell they had a lot of energy and they were, like, wound up, you know? And then I go from the kindergarten to the third grade, same story. And then I go to the preschool, and it was like, ooh, okay, up for like, grabs. It was like it was more on the borderline of like the most energetic and wild I've ever seen them. You know, everybody's
1: just, you know, you're asking them questions like, so who is Jesus? And they're like, my shoes make me run fast. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Like, I I got a chance in that last visit with them to help them write letters. Mm-hmm. I guess you just kind of take for granted that like there was someone that taught you how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, it's such a lost art. Yeah. I mean, the the sacrifice and commitment of educators to, like, children in general is, like, I had a whole new renewed respect for it because I'm trying to get this kid I was helping to, like, write capital Bs correctly. And, like, I drew one, and then he drew one. And they were, like, eerily similar yeah. to each other. Yeah. like And I'm, like, oh, man, like, I have terrible handwriting. One. But two, like, I took for granted, this is really hard to teach. Yeah. Like, you just have to model it until they just do it, and you have to have the patience and all of that. Um, but it really won me a newfound respect for teachers. Anyway, but I the punchline, though, for this, between the three of them, between our kindergarten, preschool, and third grade of that day, their attention spans are a little reduced, and I found out why. Indoor recess. Yeah, wild. Wild. Like, having that time to be able to... Vent off some of that energy, is something that is so helpful because then it allows them to focus later in the day, and they had indoor recess that day because it was below a certain temperature outside by by chance, and so they really thought, you know, we really need to have them inside, which it happens, but they were wound up. So,
1: anyway, I should... think there's I think there's a beautiful beautiful segue in what you were just saying yeah. to talking about Francis because this is what came to my mind. So, yeah you know well actually jesus does reference birds in the gospel when he says that we're worth more than a bunch of sparrows which is always like oh, well thank you you know like <laughs> yes yes mission accomplished um how many
0: sparrows that's like right. four or five yeah um
1: but uh but he does use other animal images obviously like sheep and everything like that long story short you were just saying that um you know it's it's hard to teach writing the letter B. It's harder than you would have thought. Oh, totally. You know, and it's less of yeah. like teaching them and showing them yeah. how to do it. I think that's the beauty of Saint Francis, is because Francis, you know, sure he taught with words and but like at a certain point he said, I don't want to just tell them. It's hard it's hard for them to understand sometimes if I just tell them. I have to show them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we see a lot of that in Franciscan spirituality. Frankly, you can have that dialogue be from God, right? Like yeah. God is, you know, the Trinity is there, and seeing, you know, sinfulness unfolding, and finally they're like, well, we sent the prophets, and, um, you know, trying to teach them, and they're still struggling here, so I guess we'll, you know, we'll go and show them, you know, and you know, Christ came among us, and was like us in all things but sin, so...
0: Amen. And I mean, looking to kind of the and thanks also for validating my like two and a half minute aside into the grade school for that for oh, a little you know, bit you, yeah, gotta, you, you gotta
1: tie it all in thank you It wow. all connects. That,
0: that was on plan and it worked nice. But, um, <laughs> you know, like the foundations of Francis, I mean, for those of you that don't know, contemporary to St. Dominic, there is actually a more or less, I think it's really valued as like a legend now that's unsure if it really happened. But we might have talked about this in the Dominic episode, but when they met each other and they would have exchanged like their cinctures, you mm-hmm. know, so Dominic would have had this, you know, the three knotted cincture and Francis would have had like the black belt and they would have switched. Um, doesn't bode well for like the, you know, symbolism of the cincture of the three evangelical vows, councils, po- poverty, chastity and obedience. But nonetheless, all that to say they're contemporaries of each other. And as Dominic was reacting to the world around him, Francis was doing the same, not exactly in the same sense of preaching to particularly the same heresies because they founded their orders in different places, but more to the fact of the lavishness, I think, of the world of the secular clergy. The diocesan clergy of the time would have been particularly high, Um, and there would have been kind of a disconnect, I think, with the urban poor. Um, you know, for the capacity of the secular clergy, the diocesan clergy of that time to minister to the urban poor. And then similarly, so there would have been uh, some level of um, not corruption is the wrong word, but like some lavish living or some lost values. And probably capacity. corruption. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to like paint that. I'm going to say this about the, de- the Benedictines. Cause I don't want to like, you know, uh. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I thought you meant
1: corruption in in terms of like the hierarchical church or like the more oh, sure. like yes and clergy type of thing
0: oh yeah sure Well, I, like there are definitely levels of corruption there but there would have been um some lavish living as well mm-hmm. in the life of the monastery at that yeah, time too yeah um there was some reforms like following uh like the life of Francis and Dominic in reaction I think to some of the lavish living like um there was some times as well where there was some Uh, particular abuses with like mass stipends where they would have tried to say uh particular monasteries or secular clerics, like, you know, six masses a day, if not more, and then to garner the stipends, you know? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So some spiritual, you know, things to reform and some, you know, hierarchical things to look at at that time, but then also some realm of reforms, even within other orders that like Francis would have been living and reacting to for his time. Um, but so I think that's kind of what it stems from. Like one of the basic things that you think of as Francis is a lover of poverty. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. Which didn't, it didn't necessarily start that way. Right. Like
1: he, he grew, he grew up from a fairly wealthy family. And his father, I think was like a merchant. I didn't realize this, but his name wasn't actually Francis. It was Giovanni, I think. And then oh. he got the nickname Francis. Uh, because his dad loved France. I did not know that. Yeah, oh. I think that's right. So, um, but he, you know, loved to have a good time, loved to use the money, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And then, um, but then he ended up, you know, eventually it was that whole dramatic scene of taking off all his clothes and in front of the square because he he'd given, I think he he'd given all of his dad's stuff, um, from the marketplace, giving it away to the poor. And then his dad was really ticked. This is, by the way, this is all paraphrasing. Um, yeah, right, yeah. Uh,
0: you're opening uh, a saint book, like a biography of Francis, and but, it's just like, but, dad
1: really ticked.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Butler's Lives of the Saints. <laughs> you know, Francis's dad was really ticked, and he was called that because his dad liked France. <laughs> like, on on uh, audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> like a really
1: nice NPR voice. Um, so, anyways, but, I don't know, I'm thinking last time... We were talking about Dominican spirituality, and I think a lot of that revolves around how how can I confidently and prayerfully expand my mind so as to understand Christ, not for myself, but so that I can, in a greater capacity, communicate him to others, right? Right. I feel like in this conversation with Franciscan spirituality, and I am I'm not a Franciscan scholar, I've never lived the Franciscan life... But when I read The Life of Francis... you have a habit
0: that you wear sometimes? Is that right? Only once a year. Okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. Um,
1: but when I think about The Life of Francis and I think about his spirituality, what comes to mind for me is it's a spirituality of stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah, for I think, sure. I think it's spirituality that revolves around allowing yourself to be made uncomfortable so that others can grow comfortable Mm -hmm. with the person of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, certainly. And whereas we talked about, too, because we're constantly drawing parallels from our conversation about Dominican life, like the Dominican life seemed to be about a lived experience, certainly in the realm of truth, in the realm of, you know, expressing, like, the fruits of contemplation. But the Franciscan life, in my sense, um, at least also to what I've learned about St. Francis, again, not a Francis scholar, but um a saint francis scholar but um some kind of sense of experiential living um like you don't go you know if you're going to impress upon the people of the time to listen to your message your preaching your lived out reality of the gospel then um you know it's going to have to be with experiential like you got to like put your money where your mouth is kind of mm-hmm. thing so you know walking barefoot having only a habit or two Uh, renouncing possessions in some capacity to really like a radical uh, shift and love of poverty. I mean, even as much as far as I think Francis and his writings would talk about the love of lady poverty Mm -hmm. and like embodiment of applying some like humanistic and anthropological like qualities of humanity on a person of lady poverty and kind of like exploring that and talking about it more, but kind of getting into some of the realm of spirituality of Franciscan life uh, Adam told me prior to this about the four C's right. of Franciscan life. Um, so I think the first one we talked about was man. What was it again? So it's it's crib, cross, cup, and creation. Nice. Um so now that we said it we have to do it in that order and also remember it, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no pressure. Before so Father, uh, before we hop into the seas, one yeah. of the
1: things that came to my mind from what you were sharing about poverty. Yeah. You know, we're not gonna stand in the square necessarily and, you know, take off our clothes and give it all away. Right. I I actually wanna strongly advise against that. It's it's illegal. Amen. Um Amen. Yeah. But that all being aside, one of the things that strikes me is we may not renounce it in Such a pronounced way that Francis did, or people who are living religious life do. But I think there's something to be said about an awareness of detachment from from a lot of areas in our life, be it prestige, be it money, be it, you know, like I don't know. When you were sharing, what came to my mind? uh, This whole situation is unfolding in Ukraine. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm looking at, at these images from newscasts of buildings being blown out but also like these families that are in the subways and they're holding little babies and you know I'm thinking to myself I'm trying to imagine holding William yeah in the subway you mm-hmm. know with Molly next to me and what that's like and and then I realize I did nothing to merit where I am like yeah. I, I live in the United States of America uh, we're extremely blessed in this country the difference between me and the person that I just saw on the newsreel was simply uh by by means of me being born here as yeah. opposed to there, sure. you know yeah, and I think as a result of that, I think it it can help raise awareness that this isn't like none of this stuff is mine, right yeah it's mm-hmm. all gift, it's all as a result of God extending these to me, even the money that I earn, right, yeah or or the um the food that i eat right all the it's just i think that the spirituality and the example of francis drives home that we're not in, we're not meant to be entitled to anything right? i think we grow more spiritually when there's a clear recognition that all is gift yeah um super hard to to live mm-hmm. though because we we you know get insecure or then we start grasping for all those different things i just listed but
0: anyways I don't know. That was just a thought that came to my mind. Yeah, no, and it's, it's definitely a good one to think about that, you know, in the realm of the spirituality, like you said, just to call to mind that notion of gift and that, you know, what are we placing in our lives before our encounter with God? You know, uh, to, especially in the Lenten season, when we draw into these themes of um, prayer, fasting and almsgiving, like, what does that really mean for us? And like, why are we doing them? Ultimately, that we empty out ourselves, that we are emptying ourselves and unburdening ourselves of the idols that we have, the temptations that we have, the things that we turn to other than God and try to take away things that, you know, might be good in as much as like, you know, eating candy isn't evil or fasting or like food's not evil in itself, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do we use these things and where do they interact in our relationship with God? So, Francis being. Definitely, like, a radical example of that holiness and of that calling, but nonetheless, something to, uh, you know, imitate in his virtue, in his life, to kind of get a glimpse uh, of that, to kind of uh, copy. So, what do you think, then? Do we move into the uh, four C's? What do you think? Yeah, because I think that it really speaks to them. When you think about the four C's, the crib,
1: the cross, the cup, you know, be it communion. Yeah. And then creation. Mm Mm-hmm. They all speak to ways that God is manifest, but he is not manifest in, you know, the the power and might that you might presume. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this exact willingness to, what is that, Philippians, like uh, the hymn in the second chapter, like, you know, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God, something to be grasped, right? Like Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Nice.
0: I'll start to fact check on that, but that's often an evening prayer <laughs> right. when you scroll on your phone. So I'm hoping that was right. My credibility is on the line anyway. If if you got it wrong, we know that you don't pray evening prayer. Okay, so <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Uh just above or a promise of yours.
1: Anyways, the um <laughs> uh the yeah, the four C's I think are reflective of poverty. Like there are moments when God willingly either A, in the first two C's in his incarnation, being born and taking human flesh in the form of of, a super frail and vulnerable baby. Yeah. And then secondarily on the cross, being stripped of all things Mm -hmm. and hung before everyone like a, a criminal. You know, those are moments when, you know, that humility, that poverty... Is on display. And then, secondarily, with the cup and with creation, those are ways that God is made manifest beautifully, but almost in like a hidden way, right? Like our Lord is hidden under the appearance of bread and wine. He is substantially present, but not manifest by our senses. Yeah. And that it takes humility, right? That mm-hmm. That's a, a way that God communicates himself in a humble way. And then in creation, right? We look at all of the beauties that, of this world that we inhabit, and God is speaking to us through that, but in a very, you know, gentle,
0: subtle, quiet way. Yeah. I, I think it all links together. Certainly. It reminds me, um, you know, kind of drawing from this Lenten season as well, how our Lord being tempted in the desert and particularly being tempted by the evil one. Like the evil one tempted him with ultimately what was like the desires of the world, like in as much as, you know, turn the stones into bread, and then the desires for ultimately like like worldly power or might. And then at the end, like when he goes up to the the, the mount and the the high place, then it's ultimately a temptation for a worldly glory. And kind of like the antithesis of that or like those things turned on its head is that God already has possession and power of all of those things, but our Lord in the desert didn't have to make manifest that power and that might have it. Mm. Um, so it's like the, the, the power and might of God is definitely there. It's definitely made known in a multiplicity of ways, but then we can see ultimately what is the humility of a savior that makes himself manifest. Like you said, as a baby that would ultimately want to veil himself uh, in the presence of, of bread and wine uh, in that particular way, that incredible humility of that, and then ca- tied to that, the humility of the cross, and then being made manifest in the world through creation. So those are kind of like the—and the, 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 our cursory reading, I guess, of it. It'll be interesting to see uh, what a real uh, Franciscan, in the sense of someone vowed in the uh, religious life in that capacity— Uh, would say about the reality of Franciscan spirituality. But I think, uh, you know, not bad for a little bit of a cursory overview. Of course, there were a few other C's that I read about um, being in the realm of Christ, which kind of like ties Mm -hmm. all of these C's together, which makes sense. Um, And then there's there's a few other listings on there as well of different things. But I think those four main C's are what we're talking about now. Can I drop the bombshell of the episode though? What's that? And I, I want to confirm this with uh who we interview for the next time. But the number one thing that people attribute to Saint Francis, do you know the saying? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, because I think you mentioned it. I but think the, I have, yeah. uh you know, he's he was said to have said to have said nice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, you know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. So, yeah. Yes,
0: yes. And I'm almost sure, having like lo- you know, like read about it and looked it up on my own, they cannot find any semblance of that in any of his writings. Yeah. Um, like, so to say, like those four C's, like that we talked about. You know, the crib creation cup, and I got them out of order. See, I knew I would do this. Crib cross, cup crib creation. cross cup creation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Like, those manifestations of the power of God in that humble or veiled way, like, th- that is, like, the deserving of recognition of preaching. Mm-hmm. And, like, Francis would have never, I think, agreed to this, like, when necessary, use words thing. Like, there's an experiential reality of his life that we've talked about. There's something about putting your money where your mouth is, like we've talked about. But he was an avid preacher. Mm-hmm. Like, he was someone that evangelized. He was someone that was on the streets with the people and he would have been someone sharing the reality of the gospel of others. Of course, by the example as of life that like we talked about, but also through his own words, through his own understanding of the gospel and through trying to catechize and share that gospel message to other people. So it's almost to say like, you just can't simplify it, right? you know, like you just can't reduce it to like, Oh, the Franciscan spirituality is just like living by example and like no words. Like, Kind of like
1: in the letter of James, right? You know, faith without works is dead. dead. You know, there's this this combination of both works and faith, right? So it's actually interesting because the culture, in a lot of ways, is trying to have works without faith, right? Yeah, sure. Be a good person, you know. I mean, that's a lot of with Francis. Like that hippie, mm-hmm. that hippie mm-hmm. image that we were talking about. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, be kind and be nice. And like Jesus in the gospel never says be nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says to love. He says that he's the truth. He exhibits clear open table fellowship and all that. But it, that doesn't necessarily equate to the same thing. So um, one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about Francis is The scene when he embraced the leper.
0: Do you remember what I'm talking about? When Francis did?
1: Yeah. He, because at first, I don't remember if it was, he was nervous about doing so, and then he actually ended up embracing the leper, and I think
0: it ended up being Christ in disguise. Yeah, exactly. So, like, a kind of like a miracle, like, aberration-esque kind of reality. like that. I I thought Mm -hmm. that was
1: attributed to Francis. Um,
0: but, and then that's why a lot of people were
1: struck by that image years ago when Pope Francis, there was that man who had some sort of like skin deformity or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had like boils all over. Yeah. And then uh, Pope Francis like embraced him and like pulled him in. And they were like, oh man, that's like a modern day image of mm-hmm. what happened with St. Francis. But, you know, when we're talking about incorporating this into our own lived experiences, you know, what a person coming to Mass every Sunday, a Catholic, you know, if they're looking for a love language by which to grow closer to God and thinking about Franciscan spirituality, one thing that comes to mind I mentioned earlier is a willingness to step out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. uh, What are your thoughts on how Catholics could potentially incorporate Franciscan spirituality?
0: Well, I think the default of our American culture, our American society, is to like leave religion and politics are kind of grouped together and just kind of leave them out of our own experiences of our own interactions with others and there's some wisdom to that reality don't get me wrong here and i'm not saying like there's a time and place to discuss and how to talk about imprudence with sharing the gospel with other people um and there might be situations when someone approaches you in anger or frustration or they're trying to express like consternation or frustration with something, especially if someone has mistreated them in the church, like then is not the time to, you know, talk about like, you know, higher level things or theology or talk about, you know, certain th- aspects of that, but rather just to listen to them, you know, and hear them. Um, but all of that to say, like, kind of like going back to that quote, when necessary, use words, how that was never attributed really to Francis and his writing, that there's gotta be a moment when the people in our lives that we build relationships with, there has to be a moment when we share the reality of our faith and what we believe with them. Because ultimately, if we love them, meaning that we will their good, there has to be a moment when there's this crossover point where it's not like bludgeoning to death, as I've talked about, I think, before with like the hammer of our faith of mm-hmm. truth and justice kind of thing, but rather an invitation or being able to share something of our faith, our lived experience of our faith in a way that is inviting to them. Um, so that, that could be, I mean, inviting someone like, you know, it's 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 uh, been kind of past now with Ash Wednesday, but like inviting them to something like that, where there's an experience lived out in that way and explaining the ashes in that way would be excellent. Um, even inviting someone to like a dinner or even something like Alpha offered mm-hmm. in a parish setting, to say, you know, I think you might enjoy this. Will you join me? Um, from the perspective of St. Michael's, like the invitation to a festival or to like one of the raffles that we have, like those are things that are very accessible for people that people won't be guarded. And like we can actually invite them into something deeper and kind of show them the portion of our life. But all of that to say, the temptation in our culture is to just shy away from it, mm-hmm. just avoid it. Like, no, I can't do that. And, like, that is definitely not the answer either. It sounds like
1: in a word, really what it boils down to is vulnerability. Yeah, certainly. Inviting inviting people in to situations or opportunities that are not high church, if you want to say it that way, where it's more accessible. And I think if we – how do I put this? This just popped in my head. Like, Franciscan spirituality – in my mind seems like it's a spirituality of vulnerability, and you know you think about a lot of um the orders so like one of the orders that pops in my mind is the um Franciscan friars the renewal yeah mm-hmm. the I think they're in New York, but they minister to impoverished neighborhoods, yep like food distributions and like food pantries and you know just accompanying people who are on the streets so clearly the people that they are seeking to minister to to be present to are those who are what many would say are very vulnerable states yeah. in their life um and when you when you step into that space you are making yourself vulnerable because whenever you go to the margins, or whatever you go to that space, a lot of times people aren't comfortable. That's why it's outside of their comfort zone, right? And suddenly, two people's vulnerable states meet, and that's grace. And so, I guess one one thought that came to my mind is like, all right, if if a listener is wondering how can I incorporate some of the charisma of Saint Francis or the spirituality of Saint Francis, um, seek the vulnerable. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, so go to. The St. Vincent de Paul Society, maybe they have a clothing distribution or, you know, um, look into um, soup kitchens that you might be able to assist
0: with or Mm -hmm. holiday food distributions. Yeah, even deeper on that level, too, like our nursing homes, our Mm -hmm. care facilities, um, you know, people that are often forgotten are on those kind of margins. And I mean, to be frank, too, like I'm not saying that, uh, you know, necessarily your best moments of evangelization are going to be at like, you know, a big party or like a bar, but those are definitely vulnerable Mm -hmm. people there too. Right. Not to say that everyone that goes to a bar is vulnerable. Like I have a drink of beer again at a bar now and again myself or watch football, but there's definitely moments where I have been in those situations where people, whether they know I'm a priest or not, depending on what I'm wearing, like there's definitely moments of vulnerability. And then if I do tell them, if I'm not wearing clerics, like I'm a Catholic priest Then there's a whole new level of reality of encounter, a whole new reality of sharing like their stories or their past. There's a high level of vulnerability there, but also what's really uplifting too is trust that someone is willing to to share. So, you know, the likelihood is that you know our listeners are not priests, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But knowing like even even by external appearances of what you wear. Like, you have a a cross on your necklace. You have on your lock screen on your phone, like, our Lord or the Blessed Mother or, like, someone of your family, of your children. Like, anything that might capture their attention to engage a conversation of that relationship with them and then kind of share the reason for your joy. Like, yeah, you know, when I, you know, for example, Adam, and, like, coming into this realm of fatherhood, like, you know, looking at your son as a reminder of God's love, I mean... Mm -hmm. You know in the most basic of conversations, that can open up the door for someone to, you know, engage that part of their life that they might not have looked at like that before. So yeah,
1: because when you again going back to the four C's, when you encounter Christ in the crib, Christ on the cross, you encounter Christ vulnerable. Right. Know? Um so yeah, it's and the thing is that in those moments you'll notice that Christ is seeking us, right? He's desiring to encounter us and our vulnerability, but as a as a preset to that, he strips himself first, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, Francis, before he starts his mission in earnest of preaching the gospel, living radical discipleship, he first strips himself of worldly things and makes mm-hmm. himself vulnerable so that then he is more equipped to engage others in vulnerability. Yeah. So... You know, I think the first the first step is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. to then be accessible to other people. Yeah. One of the things that came to my mind as a concrete way to incorporate um, Franciscan spirituality, it's not something you can necessarily control, but I remember, I haven't seen it for a little while, but I remember that sometimes there'd be people on street corners yeah. who were holding signs, you know, and they were saying like they were in need or they were homeless or they're hungry. And a lot of times people will just like kind of crack the window and like hand them two dollar bills or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then just like quickly roll up the window or they just won't look at all. And I don't know. I think, I think a Franciscan spirituality approach might be pulling over into a nearby parking lot, approaching them, yeah. shaking their hand, asking their name. And then if we're able to extend some sort of generosity, do that. But you know, the first thing that you're instilling in them is human dignity. And I think, you know, obviously you have to be aware, right? Like you never know who you're approaching and you have Mm -hmm. to take safety concerns into consideration. But seeing people as people, having contact with them, not being afraid to engage them, knowing Mm -hmm. their name, like that's very much like a small way to to incorporate Franciscan spirituality.
0: Yeah, and... You know, maybe one pointer as well, like, you know, maybe it's not getting a bunch of these printed, but maybe having some kind of resources, um, maybe offering that to, uh, like, a local parish. One idea could be, like, we have a food distribution and bills assistance called the Good Samaritans here at St. Michael's, and so they've made business cards that I have in my wallet. Mm, Nice. And so when I'm approached, like, I talk to the person, you know, like, the similar things you've talked about, like... Trying to learn their name, I introduce myself. I shake their hand. Like I offer to pray with them, you know. Particularly if I'm, you know, wearing wearing clerics, they're sure. going to be expecting that from me and give them a blessing. But then too, to give them that card and say, you know, if you need anything, please call. Um, you know, like do you do you want to use my phone to call now? Like mm-hmm. you know, can you leave a message? Like, um, you know, they can get, they can get connected with you. Do you but. And what I've what i found too is that um, most people in those circumstances have a means of communication, whether on themselves or with other people. But there's always a way in which we can connect them to resources, to prayer, to dignity, and then too, like asking them, like, "Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. Can I buy you a meal? If there's right. something close, um, and you know that can be something with prudence that each person sure. feels out in that situation on their own, but can be a great chance, you know, to encounter uh the those that are impoverished or those that are on the margins like we've talked about in a new dignified way. So
1: Yeah, I mean I think that another way that you that to to be able to do those things, you have to be well nourished yourself. And I think that highlights the third C of the cup, you know, that celebration of the Eucharist, being nourished by Christ at the Mass. Because ultimately, you know, in doing these acts of love are it's not you right the the whole purpose and this ties back to what we were saying at the beginning of the episode right that some some have said that francis is the saint that most closely resembles christ it's not because mm-hmm. francis worked really hard mm-hmm. and um you know then then he got that attribute it's he simply stepped to the side and allowed christ to work through him and yeah. that came through a closeness to his church that came through a closeness to his very presence in the holy eucharist and so, you know, if you're going to be encountering this vulnerability, you know, to be able to to stay nourished. Um, I mean, even in my work with counseling, like it's it is um vulnerability all day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like right? that's just kind of the job description. Yeah. And if I'm not if I'm not taking intentional time for prayer, for reflection, for family, it just becomes a task right. very quickly. Mm-hmm. and I think that Francis's example of being close to the church and close to the sacraments that helped serving the poor and those in need not to be a task but a true joy
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um you know to to use Pope Francis's uh apostolic exhortation that that becomes the joy of the gospel
0: amen amen well I think that's gonna uh, wrap up our time here at chosen the podcast to able to reflect a little bit about Franciscan life. So next time we'll be able to interview a follower in a deeper way of St. Francis of Assisi. But until then, be sure to like, subscribe, or share this podcast with someone or particularly invite a person to listen. And until then, God bless. God bless.